using one of the chair Bibles. It's on page 456. Now, Psalm 20 is a different type of psalm than we've seen in the past couple, and we're going to see another one next week. It's called a royal psalm. And at the center of this psalm is Israel's king. And to begin to look at this psalm and to prepare us also for next Sunday with Psalm 21, I want to read to you uh, from the book of Deuteronomy and what, what it says about the kings that Israel was to have. This is from Deuteronomy 17. I'm going to read to you how God planned out for Israel to have kings. It's the beginning of verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So first off, no real democratic process here. No congregational vote. The Lord is the vote. One from among your brothers you shall set a king, set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So don't make a political treaty where a king from another country rules over God's people. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Now again, the horse is not just how we use it today for recreation. This isn't a prohibition against having pets, but against acquiring many horses, an industrial military complex, if you will. And don't go back to Egypt, because apparently they have good sales on horses. Verse 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Again, a very normal pattern for the kings of that day and also a political move. So if you wanted to have a good treaty with the king next door, you'd marry his daughter. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. And when he sits... On the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not lift it up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. He is to take God's word, copy it by hand, not have a servant do it, himself do it, because people will see him. They will see how he acts. And he is not just the ruler of a country 
But in this particular situation, he is to be a godly example to his people. And so as we look at Psalm 20, I want us to see that the king was to be the first follower of God among his people. He was to represent the people in that way. And he was to lead the people not just in politics and in treaties and in war, but in following the Lord. The idea being, if the king doesn't do this, why would we expect anyone else to? And so as we look at this Psalm 20, this royal psalm, the first half, I want us to learn about prayer and the prayers made for the king, how we can apply those to our prayer lives. And in the second half, the main question will be, what do you trust or who do you trust? And learning to apply that to our lives of where is our trust and our hope found. So looking at point number one in your outline there, we're going to see it is the Lord who hears in verses one through five. Now notice as I read these verses, I want you to notice how similarly they are constructed. So let's follow along as I read verses 1 to 5. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And as I've said before, when you have a list like this in your Bible, you need to look at the list as a whole, and then look at the detailed parts of the list. And notice they all begin, may the Lord, or may the name, or may he. These are all petitions of prayer made by the people for the king. And so as with many parts of the Psalms, we see that God has given us patterns of prayer throughout the Bible. I don't know about you, but many times one of the things that hinders my prayers is knowing what to pray and how to pray. We don't feel that we're eloquent enough or have the right words or can pray like fill-in-the-blank that we look up to. (laughs) But as we go through the Psalms, I want you to see how easily the Psalms can be used in your personal prayer life. And Psalm 20 is a great example, and it's the type of things that we can have confidence in praying for. Now let's look at those details. So let's start, verses 1 to 3. We see prayers for protection, support, And favor. Look at verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. This is a prayer for the king who is in distress. There is a need for God. And the prayers follow that in the rest of verses 1 through 3. 
So we see in the second part of verse 1, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse 2, may send you help and give you support. And may he remember all your offerings. Now, if anyone is going to be self-sufficient, it's a king. If anyone can defend themselves, it's a king, especially David, who wrote this psalm. David was known for his skill as a warrior. And if the great warrior king David needs prayers for protection and support, how much more us? How much more the average person of God. And we see in these prayers for the king that we can call out to God in the dark times. That he will protect us. He will guard us. He will support and help us. So we can endure. We can persevere. And we see that God gives this to us not if we earn it, or not if we're good enough, but according to his favor. Look at verse 3. May he remember all your offerings. Now in the context here, offerings here, thinking of what you would do at the temple of that time. And we can understand this to be a reference to our worship of God. May God accept our worship. But why? And that's the second part of verse 3. And regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. It is because of God's grace and love for us that he hears us. It is because of his grace to us and his love for us that he will be our refuge and our strength and our protection. You do not need to earn the defense of your God. He offers it freely out of his grace and his love. And it, if it is not based on our performance, then we can ask at any time. You cannot ask too much for God's protection and defense. You don't have a meter above your head that says, well, you asked last week, so I can't help you this week. And again, if this is how you pray for a king, how much more can we boldly approach our God through his grace for help in times of distress? Secondly, what we learn about prayer is God's promise to answer that prayer. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now there are other passages that speak to this, but the underlying assumption here is that the requests that are being made are godly and good. Now, you can go to different parts of the Bible to help you understand what is a good request and what is a bad request. But the assumption of this psalm is that godly requests are being made. So with that caveat, I want us to look at what we see in verses 4 and 5. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. 
Verse 5, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The emphasis here is on the generosity of God in answering our prayers. God is not stingy towards your prayers. And it must be noted, the fact that God has committed to hearing us and answering us and acting accordingly. Again, we do not just scream at the sky so that we feel better than we got it out. But we pray to a God who answers, who hears, answers, and acts for us. Now in verse 5, it says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. That idea of setting up banners refers to the victory that God has given to the king. And what it highlights for us is that God is always at work for our good and his glory. We do not believe in the God who created and stepped back and let everything just work itself out. We believe in a God who acts on behalf of his people and does so with great generosity. This should remind us of a verse like Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask him? God hears your prayers and answers those prayers for your good and with great generosity. Now let's look at the second part of Psalm 20. And we'll see it's not only the Lord who hears, but it is the Lord who saves. And as we look at these verses, again, remember the context of being a psalm about the king. And if anyone can be self-sufficient, if anyone can defend themselves, it is a king in the ancient world. You think about the power that they had, the unchecked authority in their country that they have. But even the king cannot save himself, but must trust in the Lord. So let's look at the Lord who saves in verses 6 to 9. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The first thing I want us to see in these verses is that the king does not save himself. For all of his power, for all of his influence and status, the king cannot save himself. Look at verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed with the saving might of his right hand. 
Verse 9, O Lord, save the king. It is God who saves his people. It is not we who save ourselves. It is not, O king, save yourself. It is, O Lord, save the king. Again, with all of his military, with all of his power and money, it's not good enough. And it cannot save. And this leads us to verses 7 and 8. To the question of where is our hope found? Where do we trust? Verse 7, 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright. What do you trust in? What do you trust for your provision and your salvation? And as we use that word trust, we have to recognize that we use it in different ways. So we speak of our faith, we think of first that initial decision of faith where we place our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. But then we also think about the daily life of trust that continues for all our days. There is a daily trust in God that we must live out every day. And the psalmist here, again, thinking especially in the context of a king, what would a king trust in? Here in verse 7, some in chariots and some in horses. And there is a contrast here. There's two ways. There's trusting in the Lord, and there's trusting in chariots and in horses. Now, why chariots and horses? Now, again, thinking of the world back then, if you are on a horse or if you are in a chariot, you have the advantage. It's the ancient world's equivalent of having tanks and fighter jets. So some trust in tanks and jets, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so what does this mean for us, though? Because the last time I checked, I don't see people struggling with, well, should I trust my horse or should I trust the Lord? Let me give three broad categories of where I see people placing their trust that are three idols in contrast with trusting the Lord. The first one I'm going to call military or political power. Now, I start with this one because it's the most direct application to the text. Chariots and horses were a part of warfare of that time. And it is easy to place trust in our military or in our government instead of the Lord. Especially for us living in this country, we have a wonderful military. We have a military that has no equal in this world. 
And so it makes sense that some would trust in that for their security. You connect that with politics. How many politicians promise to make everything right? You think a lot of campaigns are really, trust me as your representative. And there are many powerful politicians who claim to represent us for one reason or another. And we are told that through them we can have influence and power. But what Psalm 20 is telling us is that to trust in those things is to reject the Lord. And that even a great military loses. And a politician can lie. I know that may come as a shock to some. (laughs) Secondly, Again, categories where I think there is great temptation to trust instead of the Lord. Secondly, money. Is your trust in your paycheck, your job, your retirement fund? Again, there's reasons we trust in these things. Again, compared to the rest of the world and compared to world history, we live in the richest country ever. Do we find our safety in our money? Or do we find our security in the pursuit of that money? Oh, if I could only achieve X in my retirement fund, then I'd feel safe. Or if only my house's value appreciates and doesn't depreciate, I'll be fine. Thirdly, third category of the idols that tempt us away from trusting the Lord is ourselves. It's even a part of our culture. Just trust yourself. Believe in yourself. Older historical example, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We have a rugged individualism that says, if I only believe in myself, I'll be fine. What is sad and tragic is that we must include our own hearts in the idols that want to tear us away from the Lord. But verse 8 is clear. To trust in our military, our politicians, our money, or ourselves will only lead to catastrophe. Look at verse 8. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. There's two paths, the Lord and everything else. And to trust in anything else brings collapse and fall. There is a heart question of Where is my trust and my hope found? Are there idols in my heart and in my life? 
that tempt me with a security they can't truly offer. I love this picture from Isaiah 36. And the words I'm about to read are the words of an Assyrian general who is taunting the people of Israel. And Assyria is attacking Israel, and Israel has reached out to its political ally, Egypt. Now again, great irony, that's another sermon for another time. But listen to these words. Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. When you lean on anything besides the Lord, it's putting your full weight on a broken reed. You fall and you slice your hand up. How fast can you lose your job? How fast can the stock market crash? How fast can politicians move on from needing you? And even the best military can lose a war. We do not trust in these things. We trust in the Lord who does not fail. couple points of application as we close this morning. And as a part of my application, I want to give you two, lack of a better term, memory verses to go along with. Number one, the memory verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's desire for your life is to be a person of prayer. Now, one of the expressions of trust that we can do in every day in our lives is to turn to the Lord in prayer, for he has promised to hear us and to answer us. Again, Psalm 20, written to the most powerful man in the country, and half of it is a prayer. How much more for us? No matter the problem or the circumstances, we can pray knowing that God hears and answers and that he will be gracious and generous with us. Secondly, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. There's so many things in your life that you will be tempted to trust. It can be easier to trust your money or your favorite politician because you can see those things. But anything that pulls your trust away from the Lord is a broken reed. 
and will only cause collapse and fall. Again, written to a mighty warrior king who had all power in his country. Even to that king, it is said, trust in the Lord. Not your chariots and horses, not yourself, but in the Lord. Verses 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Psalm 20, that you would use this psalm to push us to pray, to be people who look to you because you hear and you answer our prayers, and that we would not trust in power or in money or ourselves, but that we would trust in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are helping to serve communion to come forward at this time. As we take communion, I want to connect Psalm 20 to communion. In Psalm 20, verse 9 says, O Lord, save the king. And in one sense, what we celebrate in communion is that God did not save the king. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 27. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. In the taunts of the people to Jesus, we see them mocking his trust in the Lord. But we see that God does not deliver Jesus from the cross. And in doing so, in not saving Jesus from the cross, we were saved. Let me read to you this quote from author D.A. Carson. Writes, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. The deeper irony is that in a way they did not understand they were speaking the truth. If he had saved himself, he could not have saved others. The only way he could have saved 
others was precisely by not saving himself. The man who can't save himself saves others. In communion, we celebrate that Jesus stayed on that cross. That he could have come down, but he willingly died on the cross for you and for me and rose again so that we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. And so, as the psalm says, God save the king. We serve a king who was not saved from death, but willingly died for you and for me. And so, because of that, because in communion, we are proclaiming the willing death of Jesus for sinners like you and me. As we pass out the elements that you would you would examine your heart before the Lord. That you would confess sin. And that you would do so so that you may take communion in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never had communion with us, if you are a believer in Christ, we welcome you to take communion with us. If you're not a believer in Christ, please just allow the bread and the juice to pass you by, and I'd love to talk to you after the service about what it means to place your trust in Christ. We'll pass out both elements together. Please hold on to them as we will take them together as a sign of the fellowship we have with one another through the fellowship we have in Christ.